turn please in the word of God to the book of Amos and chapter 5. Amos chapter 5 and we're going to read from the 10th verse. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate. They abhor him that speaketh uprightly. For as much therefore as your treading is upon the poor and ye take from him burdens of wheat. Ye have built stone houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. Ye have planted pleasant vineyards, but ye shall not drink wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just, they take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Let's seek the Lord's face in prayer as we come to consider his word this evening. Lord, we give thanks that we're able to come into thy presence tonight to seek thy face and Consider thy word, and we pray that indeed as we do so, thou wilt be present with us. Sanctify us, O Lord, and make us fit for thy use. May thy name be glorified, and may thy word find a resting place in our hearts to bring about change that we, O Lord, might glorify thee. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This evening I want to go back to Amos again and pick up where we left off. Normally I speak in the mornings, of course. Um, so some, it's possible that some have never heard any of the Amos uh, sermons. But we started to pick it up again last week or last month, and we considered there, in chapter 5, uh, the, the verses 10 to 13. And there we saw much of the Lord's anger and much of what the Lord was angry about uh, concerning Israel at this time. And so Amos has been sent to them to tell them that the Lord's judgment is coming. Perhaps you may have forgotten where we left off, uh, and I always have to check myself. But last time we looked at chapter 5, as I said, and verses 10 to 13, and we see there this dramatic denunciation of God upon them for their corruption of justice. The, the compelling command that followed for them to seek the Lord, the one who had made the seven stars and Orion, referring to the constellations in the heavens. And then from verse, if you look at verse 9, you'll see earlier on in the chapter, there was a ruinous rampage that was promised to come upon them, and where the strength of the strong would not avail, and nor either would their fortresses, their strong walls and gates. The destruction of God's judgment then would come upon Israel, nonetheless, regardless of their defenses, because of their sin and corruption. The Lord loves justice, and he hates when it is corrupted. The Lord himself is justice. It is one of his attributes to be just. And so when justice is corrupted and perverted, then he is angry. He demands right worship. And when we worship the right, we learn of him. We learn of the truths that become more concrete realities in our lives concerning him. And so from verse 10, we considered how the words of verse 7 are specified. Verse 7 says, Ye who turn judgment to wormwood, and leave off or cast off righteousness in the earth. 
he specifies that then and goes into great detail. You afflict the just, he says in verse 12. Your treading is upon the poor, verse 11. You've built these houses of hewn stone from the proceeds of your robbery, essentially. And so you will not enjoy them. They take bribes. They turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. From that which was theirs by right, they are turned aside because they were taking bribes. Then we saw last time, they hate the one who rebukes them in the gate. The gate being, of course, the place where justice was to be meted out and abhorred the the one who spoke uprightly, the one who spoke righteousness and truth. It's not merely that they had no use for righteousness and cast it aside, but more than that, they despised it and they didn't want to even hear it. They didn't want to hear the truth because the truth convicted them. And so they commanded, as they commanded the prophet, saying, prophesy not, as we saw in chapter 2, or chapter, yeah, chapter 2 of Amos. So here they do the same. They cause those who would speak out truth in the gate, in the place of judgment, and they caused them to turn aside and caused them to shut their mouths and they abhorred them and they wished that they would not speak. It's seen in verse 11 here that they had been to essentially extorting the poor. Taking from him, it says, burdens of wheat. Likely this is referring to harsh taxation or an enforcing of poverty upon those who were already poor. They had profited from that practice allowing them, as I said, to build houses of hewn stone to plant these vineyards. Amos 6, which we haven't reached yet, of course, and verse 6 speaks of them that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not greed for the affliction of Joseph. And so the Lord speaks this doom upon them. He says, for as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor. That is because this is how you've gone about your life. Because this is how you've gotten your wealth and your luxury and those things which you enjoy, you will neither enjoy it nor profit from it. Then we also see that they were habitual in their corruption. The Lord speaks of their manifold transgressions and their mighty sins. Of course, we already had at the outset the mention of for three transgressions and for four, but here it is emphasized again, their sins were the rule. They were not the exception. They are manifold these transgressions of God's law. And then in the second part of verse 12, we see again how that they turned judgment to wormwood because they took a bribe. That which was to be sweet, that which was to be right and just and good, they had turned into the bitterness of wormwood. This is one of the principal sins that the Lord is angry about. In context, we have a vivid picture painted for us then. How the magistrates would not suffer the truth to be spoken in the gate and would not be rebuked by the one who spoke uprightly, but rather they would enforce persecution upon the poor by the, uh, and the rich and the powerful so that they could profit from them, so that they could live in luxury. And so the rich and powerful would pay for such judgments with bribes that were eagerly taken by their greedy and grasping hands. And all of this mightily displeased the Lord. He causes him then to step in and deal with them himself, to defend the humble and the contrite. And then in verse 13, we have a conclusion to this section, or this stanza. And in that advice is given, the, the wise or prudent would keep silent in this time, because it is an evil time. They had 
the benefit of the Prophet. They had the, the benefit of the sacrificial system to speak to them about how God would react to such sins. And yet they told such people who would speak out basically to be quiet. And so the Lord brings this judgment upon them. And part of that judgment is that the wise one will keep silence in this time. So this evening I want to consider verses 14 and 15, which we read together, and take the lessons that the words propound and, and pray that the Lord helps us to apply them to our hearts. We move from condemnation that the Lord pronounces upon their sins to now a command and an instruction. For the people of Israel had an action to take and needed to take it with great care and self-reflection. We see here in this passage of Scripture a repair that is required Amending of mind, of heart, and of manner. By which I mean that the Lord here gives an instruction that there is a way that these things can be repaired, that it all is not lost. Here is some advice, the Lord says, that if you follow, would lead to their good despite the judgment that will come. A route is made, a way of escape is offered to them, an offer of mercy, which gives us a glimpse ultimately of the grace. Of God, And so we see here a number of things in these two verses that the people here needed. And we all have needs, each one of us, those of us who love the Lord and have needs, spiritually speaking. And we should not forget that we have needs. We are not complete yet. We'll one day be complete when we shall see our Lord face to face. But until then we have needs. And these people of Israel most definitely had needs in specific uh, ways. So the first thing they needed then here is a redress of principle. A redress of principle. As we've already touched upon uh, and considered at some length, Israel had been to this point disparaging of righteousness and justice. They, the Lord says, had left off righteousness in the earth, which means it has been cast to the ground as if they have no use for it. They had corrupted judgment. And they had corrupted themselves in the process. And they had cast righteousness, as I said, to the earth. And so here then is a reprioritization needed. Seek the good, the Lord says to them, and not evil. Hate the evil and love the good. They had cast aside the good and they had pursued the evil. And now the Lord gives them opportunity to redress their wrongs. That is to say, to examine, uh, to reevaluate the way in which they had been walking uh, and to correct the way that they were walking. That these words are uttered at all, really, is a mercy to them. The Lord has enough against them to bring judgment with no absolution, with no way of escape. But he does not do so. Instead, he comes in various places throughout the book, and here is one of them, to give advice to them, to hate the evil. To love the good, establish judgment in the gate, redress all of these wrongs. He has reproved them for their evil and now he seeks to correct them. Hate the evil, love the good. That, that word seek there, where it says seek good and not evil, has that shade of meaning which can be interpreted as to, to attend to. Taking that way Taking it that way, we have an instruction here to action, to movement, not only to a change of mind and heart, but of their manner also, of their action, something that they needed to do. They needed to attend to good. 
And if they did, then good would come. In verse 15, we see even stronger terms used. Hate the evil and love the good. Here, then, is a matter of mind and of heart as well. It is in the heart, it is in the mind, where pure action begins. They'd be moving in a direction which was away from God and toward judgment, and now they needed to realize the situation that they were in. I was reading recently about a term called uda, which is a, 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 a term that they use in, mili- in military strategies, and it's used throughout the world in all kinds of things, a uda loop. And it is observation, orientation, um, decision, and action. And here is what was required here. They needed to observe their situation. They needed to orient themselves towards good and towards God. They needed to decide to make a change. And they needed to take an action. That is what they needed to do. To attend to the good, to shun and to hate. To have that heart orientation towards good and away from evil. Is that not what each one of us needs? That which they had been pursuing and giving their love to. They should give instead towards good and towards God. It's a changing of mind then. There is a word for that in the New Testament. In the Greek it is metanoia, which literally means a change of mind. And it is a word that is most often translated in the New Testament as repentance. And this is exactly what is required here. Repentance. They needed to turn around. They needed to redress their error. They needed to correct their mistake. They needed to turn away from evil and their love of that evil. And turn towards the good. This is a consistent theme throughout scripture. The mind is largely addressed here. But also the heart. They are to attend to the good. Not the evil. That requires a change of mental approach. They are to use their reason. And make a decision. And then they are told also to hate the evil. And love the good. And this is a change of heart also then. And so there is this redress of principle. That they needed. But they also needed a restoration of purity. And by this I mean to refer to their manner of action. The last part of the first half of verse 15 says something quite specific. And establish judgment in the gate. And if you have been paying attention, you'll know that this refers, of course, to the earlier verses where Israel was said to hate him that rebuketh in the gate. The gate, of course, to reiterate, was the place where legal transactions were carried out and where justice was sought. There are many examples of that throughout the Old Testament. Remember that it was in the gate that Boaz carried out that legal transaction of the kinsman redeemer taking legal responsibility for Naomi and Ruth as the other man who had a closer relationship uh, took off his shoe to give it to him as a pledge. Many ways in which those sorts of actions were taken to represent what was happening. You'll also perhaps be aware of how David's son, Absalom, he sat in the gate and he meted out justice, remember. And it began to turn the hearts of the people away from his father, the king, and towards him instead. That was where he went. That was the importance of the gate. And it was due to its importance that the one that spoke uprightly, who rebuked them there, was hated for it. And so here then the Lord prompts them to establish, or really to re-establish, justice in the place where righteousness and justice were to be carried out. They want, the Lord is telling them to cease this action of injustice and of the corruption of judge, judgment. 
but rather establish judgment again in the gate. A change of mind, a change of heart should lead then to this action and change of manner. They must restore the purity of the gate. That is to say, they must no longer take a bribe or afflict the just, nor turn aside the poor in the gate. These things must no longer continue. They are an abomination to the Lord. They must stop. That is a part of repentance. They should have known this well from Scripture. Proverbs 11 verse 1, a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Abomination, such strong language, which is how much the Lord hates the corruption of justice. Deuteronomy 25 verses 13 to 16, you may observe there, the Lord's view very starkly on these subjects from his words there. Thou shalt not have in thy bag divers weights, a great and a small, Thou shalt not have in thine house divers measures, a great and a small. But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight. A perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things and all that do unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. And so here, specifically to these men of power, the elites, as we might refer to them, Their injustice and their corruption of justice was abominated by the Lord. It is repugnant to the Lord to oppress the poor. They should have known this. Their own history. Continuing that same passage of Deuteronomy, we see yet more evidence of the Lord's hatred of injustice, of his hatred of the oppression of the poor and the needy. Remember, he says, what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee. Even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from thine enemies round about, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. Because of what Amalek did in their cowardly attacking of the feeble and the weak, And the young at the back of the train of uh, the people, the Lord says that they must be removed from all remembrance from under heaven. God is perfect and holy in his justice. But further, it is he who ordains the power of men. It is he who gives them their power. And so it does cause an abomination before the Lord. When that power is used to abuse and oppress those who they are that set to protect and to care for. In the case of Amalek, they had done violence to the old, the weak, the sick, smote the hindmost of the people. They passed through the land because they had behaved in this underhanded and cowardly way. The Lord wants to blot out the remembrance of Amalek. Israel must now then, in that case, knowing these things, rectify their ways. They must turn, they must restore again the purity of justice and righteousness. That is to say, they must correct the error in their own minds, but they must take an action also to correct it. They cannot continue, they cannot continue in this sin and say that they are repentant of heart. If they are continuing in the sin, then they are not truly repentant. The Lord tells them to make something happen establish, re-establish judgment in the gate. And then lastly, we see one more thing. 
that they were in need of. They were in need of a reprieve of punishment. The condition of loving and seeking good, which they were commanded to do, is a condition upon which rests the presence of God and his grace towards their remnant. And there is something deuteronomic about these words, by which I mean that the language is similar to the language of Deuteronomy. A form is similar to the blessings and cursings that take up a large portion of the book of Deuteronomy. He says, do this and you will be blessed, do it not and you will be cursed. And here they are to seek good and not evil. And the God of hosts shall be with you even as ye have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish judgment in the gate. And it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. And there's some very interesting words there at the end of verse 14. As ye have spoken. So the Lord God of hosts shall be with you as ye have spoken. Here is a reference to their common claim. They claimed that God was with them and that they worshipped him. Even though their worship itself was corrupt. But God was not with them. But should they do as the Lord said. Then the God of hosts shall be with you even as you say. In the midst of their sin, even throughout their manifold transgressions, they still claimed to be doing the service and will of God. And even in their idolatry, they made pretense of it being the right worship of God. Remember that the calves that were set up in Dan and Bethel, the golden calves, where Amos was likely speaking, that is Bethel, these words, they were set up as a replacement for the worship of God in Jerusalem so that they would not return to Jerusalem and to the southern kingdom. They were intended to be proxy locations for the worship of the true God of Israel. And yet their claim was unfounded, for God will be worshipped, as we've considered, only in the place and in the way that he himself has commanded. Therefore, all their worship was, in fact, idolatry. And the point being here, of course, that they claimed that God was with them. And here the Lord says to them, mend your ways, mend your manner of action, and then I will be with you as you currently claim. You claim that I am with you now, If you mend your ways, then I will, in fact, be with you. And so there's a glimmer of grace here for them. The words of Amos are damning. They're full of their doom. And yet, even still, there is hope given. Verse 15, it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. As Amos speaks those words, he does not offer a guarantee of a reprieve of the punishment. And he even refers to the remnant. That is to say, well, you've already done so much. The punishment will come. But if you turn your ways, then all the time that you have left, for example, can be saved. Yes, you wasted time in sin. You wasted all of that which I have given you in sin. But yet even still the remnant can still be saved. They are wise if they will proceed on the basis that the Lord is gracious, and they would turn again. If they would turn again and purify their ways, then it may well be that the Lord would be gracious to them again as he had in times past because they knew that their God was a gracious God. They needed God's grace. They needed this reprieve. And here is offered some hope. And it's worded in such a way to stir up their hearts to urgency and quickness of action. It may be they are fast closing in on their doom and when it has come upon them fully they will only be able to despair but that time is not yet fully come 
They have hope yet if they proceed with haste and turn away from evil to love the good and to restore the purity of God's law once more in their lives and in their ways. He may yet be gracious. Quickly then, take this action, the Lord is saying. So in closing, let's very quickly draw some points out for our consideration and further application this evening from this further section of Amos 5. First of all, this, that pursuit of evil or sin naturally brings misery. And the love that the Israelites had for their corruption, for their evil that they had embraced was solely the reason for the misery that was to come upon them. And yes, perhaps they they enjoyed it while they were doing it, while they were taking advantage of the poor and building for themselves these houses of hewn stone and planting these pleasant vineyards for them to enjoy the the spoils of their actions. Their sin is very enjoyable, and their sin was enjoyable, but it led only to misery. Remember that word, seek, means to attend or to give attention to. And they had chosen actively to give their attention to sin in specifics, these fraudulent ways and violent living. They'd be attending to and loving the paths of evil, lusting after riches, lusting. In early chapters we see they were lusting even after one another in their sexual sins. Seeking evil then would only bring death upon them. Seek good, the prophet says. That you may live. We men and women bring such misery upon ourselves because of our own stubborn pursuit of sin. And we actively pursue things which are ruinous to our souls. Mankind en masse pursues things that bring ruin upon their health. Whether it be food, whether it be drink, whether it be drugs, whether it be all kinds of things. Men and women pursue lusts that may well bring ruin upon their lives. They will bring ruin upon their families. They will pursue riches by criminality. They will bring ruin upon themselves by earthly justice and punishment. In many ways and to different degrees we will destroy ourselves for some short-term gain or pleasure which is nothing compared to what God has in store for us if we are Christ's. How foolish we so often are. So this evening as this word such as it is comes to you consider your own way What is it in life that you are attending to? Are you doing so to your own detriment? Christians do this commonly also, even against our own wisdom. We'll promise, uh, prioritize things in our lives to the detriment of our spiritual growth. How often do we do that? Are you doing that at the moment? Consider your ways. Do you know the Lord this evening? Have you sought his mercy? What is it that is stopping you from mending your ways considering your action? your continued pursuit of the pleasures of this world and your stubbornness in coming to the Lord for mercy will result only in your own misery ultimately. Seek good and not evil that ye may live. Then secondly, claiming the presence of God does not make it so. I mentioned earlier that the rulers of Israel claimed the presence of God and their religious leaders claimed that their worship of idols was really worship of God, but it was not so. Yes, they might have gone to the places of worship uh, that they considered to be right worship, 
But in all their sin and transgressions, they claimed that the Lord was with them, and yet it was not so. And so this evening, let us be careful in claiming the presence of God with us. It applies very much to the child of God. We can very easily get caught up in this world, assuming the Lord is with us, even though we are pursuing things that are not good for us. And then we come to our ruin. Remember Samson? Delilah tried several times to prize the secret of his strength from him. Several times he lied and played the game because he enjoyed it. He enjoyed her company. The Philistines thought to take him and he destroyed them because he had the presence of God with him. And then the final time he gives in and he tells his Philistine mistress the truth. She cuts his hair and the Philistines came upon him once more. And on that occasion, and you can read it for yourself in Judges 16, he wakes from sleep and says, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not, he knew not, that the Lord was departed from him. Perhaps you are in such a sleep as Samson was, loved and enticed by this world. Will there come a time when you will be in great trouble and misery and you will seek the Lord, but he will be far from you and silent to you. You claim that you assume the presence of God with you, but you have not recognized that the Lord has departed from you. It's not enough for you to assume or claim the presence of God with you. You must make sure of it. You must enter into the place of prayer. You must ensure that you love the good and hate the evil. And then the Lord will indeed be with you in all of your distresses. Then, thirdly, urgency of action as well as mending of mind and heart is required for those who would seek God's grace and mercy. And in closing, I just want to leave this instruction with you. Take action. If you do not know the Lord or if you have lately been estranged from him, then you must take action. Perhaps you have known his grace in times past and now you are far off from him. What a desperate plight that is for the Christian to know the truth, to know the grace of God, to have experienced the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ with you and yet now be in a pit of despair and far from him, not knowing how to escape, never knowing that grace again. But there is a way. Take action this evening. Do not leave it merely as a theory in your mind as something that you know but have not done anything about. The Lord said to Israel here, establish judgment in the gate. We can take that genuinely to mean that we are to purify our ways. What we have done and made wrong, let us fix. Let's go to the Lord and fix it. Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. And may we go to the Lord this, this evening through our Lord Jesus Christ. And purify our hearts and purify our minds and cleanse our hands and our actions that we may indeed stand in his holy place and receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This evening I'm addressing the backslide of the one who knows that God is indeed gracious and merciful. Go to him again and cry out for help. It might, may be that the Lord will be gracious to you. Who is a pardoning God like thee or who has grace so rich and free? And go now and do not delay another moment. And the same applies to any here this evening who have never come to the Lord. Come now. It may be that the Lord will be gracious to you also. 
You will go from death and misery to life and joy and peace in believing in him. May the Lord have mercy upon each of our needy souls this evening for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks that we can come into the presence of God this evening. We give thanks, O Lord, that thou indeed art a gracious and loving God. There is none that has grace so rich, so free, as thou dost show unto us through thy Son, the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray this evening you would show us grace, you would show us our sins, that you would instruct us and teach us in the way that we might be purified. We might establish again the right ways of God in our lives. Lord, if there are any outside of Christ this evening, that you would have mercy upon them and draw them to yourself lovingly. Lord, we pray, may thy word uh, have free course and be glorified. And may thy Holy Spirit go on working in our hearts. Oh, Lord, how much of a need we have of thy word. How much a need we have of coming before thee in prayer. But yet so often we neglect it. And we neglect our own souls in doing so. So Lord, bless us. May thy word be written upon our hearts this evening. For we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.